the Lord has changed my direction completely from where I was going. So I believe this is an important message. And uh, I pray that the Lord will deliver it through me the way he's delivered it in me. Hope I can get it out to you the way that he's put, impressed it upon my heart. Uh, because I believe it is pertinent for our church today. I believe it kind of gives us a little historical background of where we are at today. Um, and it's important that we say these things, not in any way to um, have any other motivation or any other agenda than just to recognize where we are at spiritually and physically uh, in our church. Because I believe the Lord has got something in store for us that's coming. I believe he had to prepare this church so that when it comes, that he gets all the glory for it. And nobody else takes any glory from it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's doing. It's all about what he's preparing us to do. And I believe that there's a, a good work coming for our church. And uh, I believe this message uh, has to be said. And I believe it's important that we uh, clearly hear the word that the Lord has placed in our heart today. So I am going to speak out of the, out of the book of Judges. And I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible. Uh, we are not putting scriptures up today. We want people, I feel like maybe we've been feeding too softly the Word of God. So open up your Bible. I want to talk today about Gideon. And I want to speak about Gideon's message. And I want to speak about the life of Gideon and what Gideon did. And the call that Gideon had on his life. And we're going to do a lot of reading today, but it's important that we do this. And we're going to figure out how this relates to our church because I believe there's a clear message in it and I believe it's very important that we hear this because uh, with all that being said as we prepare this I know that I know that our church is a product of a number of years of dealing with the one thing about God is that God is not limited by time as we have spoken about in Sunday school class today. He's not limited by the last six months or the last week. God has a plan that extends over years and years and years. And everything that he has put in place over the years leads up for this moment today. I believe that you have an appointment here today. I believe that I have an appointment here today. I believe that God does not put us in circumstantial situations that are coincidental. I believe that God appoints people to be at certain places at certain time for certain reasons. And he's appointed us today to be here. He's appointed you to be here to hear this message. And he's appointed me to speak it. So I pray that I can speak it and I pray that you can hear it for the way the Lord is trying to convey it. Amen? Let's start reading in Judges chapter 6, verses 1. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. 
It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now let's stop here for a minute. This is a scene of disaster for the Israelites. The Amalekites and the Midianites gathered their forces along with other eastern countries at that time, came together against this little country called Israel. Because Israel was prosperous and they were productive in their land. And these raiders came in and stole from the Israelites every year come harvest time. They would come in and for seven years they wiped Israel out, took everything Israel had. And, you know, it talks to me about spiritual warfare in our lives. We are against a spiritual foe that will come to do the same thing in us personally and in this church. He is intended to come in and wipe us out. Every time there's a harvest to be made, he is there to steal it. Every time there is something to be gained, he is there to take it away from us. And his plan is to destroy and strip away everything that God has for us. That's the plan of the enemy for our lives today, personally, in your family, and in this church. Don't misunderstand the intent of the enemy. He is evil. He is destructive. He is not your friend. So that's very important that we understand who we're up against. It's also something I want to point out in chapter or verse 6. It says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now here's the thing that I think also that we need to recognize. Why does it take us to be impoverished before we cry out to the Lord for help? Why does it have to get to the point that we are desperate before we call out to the Lord for help? Why aren't we calling out to the God for help or thanksgiving in our blessings? Why aren't we on our face, prostrate before the the Lord because he's been so good to us? Why does it have to take a disaster to get our attention? See, the Israelites, go back to verse 1. Again, (laughs) again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is not their first rodeo. This is not the first time that they've failed And for seven years, listen, seven years, the Lord gave the Israelites into the hands of the Midianites. You see the Lord doing what he's... He gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the Israelites disobeyed again. Again and again and again. We see, you read the Old Testament, you see many times where God God brings the Israelites up and they take themselves down. God brings them up and then they wasted. They, they spurned God's grace. And they waste his blessings over and over again. And, and it says again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and so we see the problem. We see the problem. And it's a big problem. It's a bad problem. And it's a bad problem for us as well. Because we're also up against an enemy that's as innumerable as the enemy of Israel. Let's read on it, starting in verse 7. 
When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Man, the Lord is just coming right after him, isn't he? He's not giving him any breaks here. He's telling him just the way it is. See, when a prophet comes, a prophet does not come as your friend. At least not an obvious friend. But if you listen to the voice of the prophet, he's the best thing that ever happened to you. Because he's telling you what God is trying to say to you, but you're not listening. These guys knew better. The Israelites knew better. They had had successes. They were delivered from the hand of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. This is after they've gone through the desert. This is after they've crossed into the promised land. Remember, the promised land is not heaven. The promised land was a land that God promised them, but the Israelites had to take it by force. And the Israelites had to still live a righteous life in the promised land. They still had their responsibilities in the promised land. But clearly... They didn't listen to the Lord. One of the biggest concerns that God had when he allowed them to cross into the promised land is he told them to go into the land and conquer the people and don't spare them. Don't spare their gods. Don't spare their idolatries. Don't spare their false religions. Wipe them out because the God in his, in his omniscience and his all-knowing knew that they could not play with them and not be influenced by them. See, in the same way we're instructed in our lives today, don't play with the devil. Don't play with sin. Because God knows in his omniscience about my life and about your life that if I play with sin, you're going to get caught. This morning... I was lighting the candles out in the front foyer. And you know the old saying, you play a fire, you're going to get burnt? Well, I got burnt. I held the match a little too long when I was lighting that candle, and it burnt my finger. So I know what it means when you say don't play with fire, you play long enough, and eventually you're going to get burned. That's exactly what's going to happen when you play with sin. You think it's something that you can dabble with. You think it's something that you can contain, that you can control, that you can bring into your life and you can control that level of sin and that, that depth of sin that you're going to go into. But I'm telling you, folks, the deception of sin will win if you think you can conquer it on your own. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and the commitment that we make to him that he breaks the bondages of sin. And keeps us from ourself. So the message of a prophet is not always a good message. But yet it's absolutely unnecessary that we listen to the prophets in our lives today. I believe there are prophets that are going around in the American churches today that are saying the same thing. I think there are prophets that have been raised up in our time, in our society, in our day that is saying the same thing to the American church. You've been instructed and you haven't listened. 
You've been told and you haven't listened. Therefore, the judgment is upon us. The judgment is close at hand because you've been warned, you've been told, you've been instructed, and we day after day turn our face against God. Let's continue reading. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Johash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now let's stop here a second. Let's first of all understand this context of what's going on here. Here is Gideon, the son of Johash, and he's in the harvest time, and he has the wheat, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't know when the last time you threshed wheat was, and I don't know when the last time you were in a wine press is, (laughs) but you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. See, when you thresh wheat, the process of threshing wheat is a multi-step process. Threshing wheat is basically the step of beating the wheat, the stalk of the wheat, to disengage the grain. And it was done that way, it was done in those days, either by a threshing tool, or a lot of times cattle would crush it. And they would stomp on it, and it would, it would break the, 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 um, the seed out of the stalk. And then came the winnowing of the wheat. And that was basically where you would take it and, and you would take a winnowing fork and you would take what's left over and you would throw it up in the sky, throw it up in the air, and the, 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 the flax or the waste product would be lighter than the seed and the breeze would blow it away and the seed would fall to the ground and that's how you would separate the seed from the flax. So a wine press is not designed for that. A wine press is designed to crush grapes. It's designed to be in a spot where everything stays in the wine press. So why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? A wheat threshing is typically done outside on a hard surface where it's windy and it's breezy so that the breeze carries away the dust and the breeze carries away the flax and so the seed falls clean. A wine press is, in, a, is in, a, in, in an enclosed place where there is no breeze. There is, no, there is nothing to move the wine or the, uh, the flax away. So, so he's working, he's doing a job, a very unproductive job in a place not designed to be. And what he's doing now, he's making his job that much harder because he's not allowing the wind to, to help him. He's not allowing the breeze to move away the junk. He's in a very dusty environment now, and he's probably coughing and hacking, and he's probably struggling, and he's very unproductive in his work to separate the wheat from the stalk. How often are we unproductive because we're not boldly working where we're supposed to work? where we are trying to do the things that we're trying to do or we're supposed to do undercover. You know, the, Lord, the Bible says if you light a candle, you don't put a bushel over the candle. You, you, a, a person that lights a candle stand, stands on the top of the hill. 
Because you're lighting a candle to be shown and to be seen. And many times we then, in our faith walk, we get embarrassed and we struggle and we do things unproductively in an area that we shouldn't be in because we're afraid. And then here comes the major insult to Gideon. Here in his fearfulness, he's doing all this work in secret, and here comes this angel of the Lord that says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He called Gideon a mighty, mighty warrior when Gideon was a scaredy cat. He was afraid. He wasn't a mighty warrior physically. But this is where God sees different than what we see. God saw in the omniscience, in the transcendence of godly eyes, he saw into Gideon's heart and he saw a warrior in the heart. And Gideon didn't see that. He calls you a mighty warrior. Do you know that? You have the same characteristics in your heart. If you love Jesus, you are a mighty warrior. And we are in a battle. And God calls us mighty warrior. But let's continue on. It says, But sir, Gideon replied, verse 13, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are, where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midian. Wow. Gideon just isn't getting it. See, Gideon is he's asking, he's asking all the right questions here that we would be asking when we don't get it either. You know, all of the disasters that come along our way, all of the things that, that come into our life that are not lining up with what we think godly prosperity ought to be, all these things that come into our way, we say, God, if you're for us, where are you? Why are we struggling? Why are we, why are we here? What's going on? See, and, and, and Gideon even accused the Lord here of abandoning him. Why have you abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midian? See, God does not abandon people. He does not abandon you. Even in the time of your greatest distress, understand that he has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned this church. But he has us right where he wants us because of something else that's coming. And here's the thing that's, that's really encouraging for you, that if you feel that you have been abandoned, and if you feel that you've been placed in the hand of the enemy to be sifted, let me, let me tell you something very honestly here and very clearly. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord that you have the opportunity to see it for what it is. What's, what's so important about God's word is that it's straight and it's forward and it's truth. There's no hidden, there's no hidden agendas in God's word. If the Lord has you in a tough spot, he has you there for a reason. And the reason is, is not how quick can you get out. That's not the purpose. The purpose is what can you learn in the process? What can I learn in the process of my life, in the tough times that comes to my life? What am I supposed to learn? The Lord has not abandoned us. He's giving us good, solid, biblical warnings He's giving us good, solid business, business or biblical truths. And if there's an area of sin in your life, then take care of that because he's giving you a chance to be redeemed. 
That's the beauty of God's word. He always gives second chances if you're willing to listen to him. If you're willing to listen and what he has to say for you, he's got a second chance. But if we keep deliberately sinning in the areas that God is warning us on, we're taking the second chances and we're trampling on them. And I say that because it says that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. You can write that down or you can turn to it. But it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, listen to this, no sacrifice for sins is left. If the Lord has told you, if he's spoken to you, if you are deliberately sinning in the area that the Lord said, stop. It's serious, folks. It's serious. And I'm preaching to the world here. I'm just not preaching to the few that are here. You're here for a reason. And your reason's good, but hang on. Let me get through the truth. Let me get through the truth. Because we have to know that God is serious about what he says. If we keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and, has, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Wow. Verse 30, For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Boy, but I thought God is love, Mike. Well, yes, he is love. Love judges. Love is hard. Love is truth. And the Lord has given us his truth. So we need to understand. We need to pay attention. If, the God, if God is dealing in some areas of sin in your life or in the life of this church, we need not play with it. We have to deal with it. God disciplines our lives and the discipline is never to harm us. That is so important to understand that. His discipline is never to harm us. It's only for our good. It's to bring us a saving knowledge of his love for us so that we can have the opportunity to repent and then turn from the wicked way. Repent and turn. Repent and turn. It's, it's, it's given multiple places in Scripture where it says to repent, which means turn away. Don't do the same thing over again. Repent. Turn away from your sin. and Renounce all your detestable practices. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent. Repent and turn. God is a God of second chances. But there must come a time of true repentance in our life and a turning from the evil that has that has deluded us or deceived us. I'm laying a pretty bleak picture here, but I have to do that because from that, then we can see the salvation of God. From that, we can see the grace of God. All right, let's go back to Gideon. Basically, verses 15 through 24, I'm not going to read those, but they basically are telling of Gideon's discussion with the angel that is confirming who the angel really is. 
and that really confirming the call on Gideon's life to be a tool that God wants to use to deliver his people and that he is establishing a relationship with Gideon in this point. There's two major points that I want to bring out in Gideon's obedience plan to life. Number one is that Gideon had to, was required to deal with the past sins of his father's generation in their intentional willingness to fall into a deception and serving false gods and idols. Number one, Gideon had to go down and tear the idols down of his father. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second thing that, Israel, that Gideon was to do with his obedience was that he was to trust God to deliver Israel with a small band of men against an innumerable enemy. Two things. All right, let's continue reading verse 25. Let's get down to verse 25. 25 of, verse, of chapter 6. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather, in the, rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. They asked each other, Who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Johash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Johash, Bring out your son. He must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Johash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, Let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. I don't need to spend a little time here because we have some similar things in our life. Gideon had a tough job to do. The Lord called Gideon to do a very difficult thing that day because, see, Gideon was going against everything he had ever known. All of the idols, Baal worship and things, were really all Gideon ever knew. Gideon is a product of his father's generation. It took a lot of boldness for Gideon to go into that situation and take the God that he served, the God that he worshipped, the God that he was taught to worship, and to tear it down. And then to take the Asherah pole, which is another part of their idol worship, cut it up, and use that for the wood to burn the sacrifice of the, of, the, of the bull. It took a lot of boldness to do that. Now, even so, he did it at night because he was afraid of his family. He was afraid of what they would do if he did it in the middle of the day. So he took ten men, and he did it under cover of darkness, but he did what the Lord asked him to do, and he tore down the idols of his father. And what's so interesting here now is that when it's exposed as to what, what Gideon has done, 
what I really, really, really like is the father's response. See, the men of the town and the other family members came and said, once they figured out it was Gideon, they went to Johash and said, you have to kill your son because your son has destroyed our temple. Your son has destroyed our idols. And Joash's father got it. He caught it. And he said, no. If Baal is so strong, let Baal fight his own fights. I'm not going to defend Baal. He, he did. He saw what Gideon did was right. See, the fathers knew that what they were doing was really wrong. They knew it. They had, they had the history of their generations talk spoken into them. They knew the, the God of Egypt that delivered the Israelites. They knew that. And they knew what they were doing was wrong all along, but they willfully were allowed deception to come in and destroy them and destroy their God, uh, their, their religion or their worship of the true God. And they went to the false gods. Now, this is where I'm going to get a little dangerous. Because I think that we've had some situations in our church, and I don't mean to say this in any negative way at all. I'm just telling you what the Lord has revealed in my heart. And I'm doing this for a reason so that we then can see where we are at and that we can give God glory and credit for where he's going to take us. Um, this church has been under judgment for a while. And I know some people don't like that. They don't like to hear the fact that we're under judgment. Let, let, me, let me give you a story. The best way I can say this is in a story. Back in 1947, there was a, uh, a church upstart, a new church started in Charlevoix, Michigan. And it was called the, it was part of the Assemblies of God denomination, which was a relatively new denomination. But it was a startup church. It was a strong little church. It was a Pentecostal move. It was something new happening in this area. And the Lord had a plan. And the devil saw what was going on, and the devil didn't like it. And in that little startup church came a family. And I'm going to say it because I see it for what I am. And I do not mean this critical in any way, shape, or form. I am not slamming anybody. I am not hurting anybody. I'm just stating it. And this could be done in your family or any other family, or maybe probably has been in the other families in this, in this community and in this world. But I'm just going to tell you the way it is, I believe. That the Lord put this little family in Charlevoix called Clarence and Ruth. And they came out of Detroit. And they came up with a strong little family unit. Clarence and Ruth were God-loving people. And they loved Jesus and they had a great potential here. So the Lord had Clarence and Ruth in this charter church and with their boys and this family. The Lord had a plan. He said, if I can get that family, if I can get that church together, we will change northern Michigan. We will come in and we will take the power of the Holy Spirit in this family. And we're going to conquer great things. But the devil had a plan too. 
And the devil saw that and he said, you know what, I can't allow that to happen. I've got to do everything he can to destroy that family, to destroy that church, destroy that move. And so as God does and as the devil does, time plays out over multiple years of generations and multiple times here. And so the devil, I believe, took a look at this family and he saw this young family and he said, you know, how am I going to stop this? These fam- this family is strong and I know that I'm never going to get him with some of the obvious sins. I'm never going to give him with all-out sin. I'm not going to get him with, with, with adultery. I'm not going to get him with, with gambling. I'm not going to get him with all-out just sin. The only way I'm going to get this family is if I establish a level of deception and pride. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to destroy it this way. And the reason I say that is because, and again, please hear my heart. I remember back when I was a kid, five years old or younger, in that area, I don't know exactly when, but I was young. And I can remember, again, let me, let me rewind a little bit. The Assemblies of God Church was a, holy based, a holiness-based movement. We didn't drink. We didn't smoke. We didn't dance. We didn't go to movies. We didn't chew, and we didn't grow with girls that do. Okay, I can remember as a kid growing up when people would say, what do you believe in? I'd say, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't go to dances. Well, what do you believe in? I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't go to dances. What else do you want to know? And that was kind of my, that's what we were. That's what a holiness structure was. Deception comes in so subtly. And I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just telling you the way it was. Deception came in so subtly that the devil started to play the game with us because my parents' generation started seeing some things about it and said, you know, I want to play cards. And I want to play Rook. I want to play Euchre. I want to play Rook was really the game, I believe. I remember at the time. But cards were bad. I mean, we don't play cards. So what we would do or what happened is that they would play cards and it was said that, well, if Grandma and Grandpa come, hide the cards. Just hide them. And uh, so that's how it started. And I can remember that turning into kind of a little joke that play cards and if grandma and grandpa come, hide the cards. And all of a sudden, deception started to sneak in to say, okay, rather than just dealing with the issue of what's wrong with cards? What's wrong with playing a card game? Clarence and Ruth, come on, we're not gambling with the cards. We're just playing cards. It's a social game. Why not just go and talk? No, the devil didn't want that. The devil wanted deception. So that's how it started. And then it grew. It grew in other things. Now, I grow up, okay? Now, that's kind of where I'm at. I grow up and to be a high school student and I want to drink. Or I want to do things with my girlfriend I shouldn't do. I've been taught, hear my heart, I've been taught do and hide. Do and hide and you're okay. As long as I don't let my mom and dad know what I'm doing, because I was taught that way. See, deception, deception on one generation grows to the next generation and destroys it. And then it takes the next generation and says, Did, then you, you forget you had a Christian upbringing. That's what happened to Gideon. Gideon didn't even know he had truly an Israeli upbringing, but his father did. So deception comes in along with pride. Because the, the, because the devil knew his plan was to destroy a church through deception and pride and a family. And it breaks my heart that that's what's happened. 
And I don't mean that critical. Please hear my heart. I just say the fact now. But the cure is that God is a God of second chances. He comes in and he reveals this to us as Gideon went in and tore down his father's idols. So we have done in coming back in and deceived, opened up the level of deception and thus tore down the idols of our fathers. Hear my heart. And this is why the, the lid's been exposed. And Israel, or Gideon's father accepted it. Some of the other family didn't. And they wanted to kill Gideon. They wanted to destroy him. But see, God's discipline is never to destroy. God's discipline is judgment to heal, to give second chances, to be forgiven, to repent, and to forgive. And that's where we're at now. Let's, let's move on to the second part of, of Gideon's job. Gideon had the job of destroying the, the past sins so that he could get on to what God really wanted. The Mid, the, Gideon's job was to deliver the Midianites into the hands of the Israelites so that Israel could be free. Now, he makes the call. Gideon makes the call to everybody and says, come on, we've got to fight. We've got to battle the fight. And so he goes out and does the obvious thing. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. Basically, Gideon is calling his family or those that would. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh and calling them in arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they went to... they. Two went up to meet them. So Gideon was calling a vast army to come and fight to free Israel. And Gideon said to God, If you will save me by Israel, by my hand as you have promised, look, I have a place of wool fleece and a threshing floor and so forth. And I'm not going to take the time to read all that, but that was, again, more testing that Gideon needed to have from the Lord. That's where he spread the wool fleeces out. One time the wool fleece was wet, the ground was dry. The next time that the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. So he did it twice. He needed to know. And uh, so here he is now. Gideon's set to go. He's got an army of 32,000 people. And he's going to go against and he's going to defeat them. He's going to defeat his enemies. But God said, let's, let's look to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 1, starting in verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, who was Gideon, and all his men camping at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. All right, so here uh, Gideon thought he had a, a vast army, and the Lord says, too many guys, Gideon, too many guys. You've got, to, it's, you've got to reduce your ranks. Why did he have to reduce his ranks? Because he didn't want Israel taking credit for what God had done. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneeled down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that I lapped, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. 
So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took their provisions and the trumpets of the others. It wasn't that long ago, folks, that this church, just a few 10, 15 years ago, that this church was 250 people strong. And this was a strong, probably one of the strongest churches in town. Well, now we're a church of 50. All right. What God is preparing to do, I believe, in this church is with a remnant of 50 people. He didn't need 250 people here to do what he wanted to do because in God's providence, in God's omniscience, God would, would have seen that if I'm going to do what I need to do with 250 people, they will take the credit for it. It will be their credit. It will be to their glory. So that God, through his sifting process over years, has sifted us down to a remnant of people. Here's the thing, though, too, is that the people that were sifted in Gideon's day, they didn't realize they were being sifted. Now, the first 22,000, they were chickens, so they were glad to go. All right, so they bailed right away, said, I'm out of here. And Gideon said, go, let him go, and and he went. He's down to 10,000 people. Now, those 10,000 guys are still too much, but they wanted to fight. They were fighters. They were not afraid. They, they willingly stayed in the fight. But God said, still too many, Gideon, so take them down to the water, and I'm going to separate them again for you. And these men didn't know they were being separated. They just went to get a drink of water. And the 300 that lapped like a dog, or lapped, put their, you know, kept it, brought it up into their hands, that's what God was looking for. God was looking into the hearts of the 300 men that he wanted to to be there that would not take credit for the battle. I look at our church today, and when we look at us physically, we're weak. We're financially weak. We're numbers weak. We are, in all honesty, most of us are followers than leaders because most of the leaders have gone but yet people are rising up. I see God taking this little remnant right here. If you and I will agree, and I'm going to close with this, if you and I will agree to come together and prostrate ourselves before the Lord, and if you will fast, and if you will pray, and if you'll say, Lord, take me just as I am. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I've got mistakes. I've got problems in my life. But if you will come together and be the, that, three, that remnant, 300, what's the percentage of 300 from 32,000? And God delivered them from an innumerable force. If you go on and read that, you'll see how they did it. Basically, they, they took the trumpets. And then Gideon even took them one more step of separation. He took 300 people and he divided them into groups of three or 100, basically three groups. So 100 people here and 100 people there and 100 people there, and they surrounded this large camp. Do you think that was a feeling of power for these guys? (laughs) No, God even separated them further. But yet they were unified in spirit, and they listened to what Gideon said. Gideon said, when you follow me, listen to what you have to say. Follow me, and when I cry out, what you do is they had jars jars and they had um, trumpets. Break the jars blow the trumpets and proclaim for Gideon and for my God, for Gideon and God, and when you blow the trumpets, God will take care of the rest. And that's exactly what happened. As he blew the trumpets, 
the army inside got scared. <laughs> and they killed each other and they fled. They fled. So this morning as we close, if you, will, if you will work together and see the commitment that God is looking, God has seen something in your heart that wants you here. He's seen something in you that he wants. And he wants to nurture that and he, wants to, and, he wants, and he needs to prepare us to be the warriors that we are. And I look at myself and I don't see a mighty warrior. Do you see a mighty warrior in yourself? Do you see that in you? But God sees it. God sees it, and God's saying, I want this church to rise up to be a church that, that, that I'm proud of and that will give me the glory for it. Amen? Amen. Jackie, if you'd come, I just want to end with prayer. And I'm just going to end with, I'm, I'm just giving you a challenge. I'm not giving you a reprimand at all. It's just a challenge to say, are, where are you today with me? Where are you with this word? Where are you in the future of our church I'll tell you right now, I already feel the devil. I feel his attack. I feel that he is coming against and he wants to destroy. I'll tell you, guys, we are not going to win this easily. We are not going to win this sitting down. We are not going to win this because the enemy has got, a, he's got years and years invested in this church and he does not want us to break the barrier he does not want that. So the only way we're going to get this is we have to take this message, you have to chew on it, you have to take it home, and you have to apply it in your life personally. This church will not grow unless you grow. This church will not survive unless you survive. It's about people. It's about people. We have to be the evangelists. We have to be the church. And remember, whatever God does, he always does for your benefit. He does it to help you more than he does for himself. He does it for you. God is, God is going to be God regardless of what you and I are going to be, but God wants to make you into things and he wants to put blessing in your life and, and how he does it. He does it through adversity. He does it through testing. He does it through hard work. He does it through his grace that finishes the job. Amen. Will you commit to pray with me on this? If you will commit to pray with me on this, would you, write, would you stand up right where you're at? If you see, if you feel this in your heart, if you feel this, and if you'll commit to praying and, take, and doing your job, doing where you're said, like Pastor Ted spoke last week, we all have a job to do, we all have a responsibility to do. How important it is that you understand you're the warrior, you are a mighty warrior. And that we give God all the credit and we give God all the glory as he takes this church on to what this church needs to be for his glory. Amen? For his glory. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I can say corporately, Father, as the pastor and as the leader of this flock, Lord Jesus, please forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for the times that we failed you, Lord. Lord, in our naivety, in our ignorance, and in our bold-faced lying. Forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Lord. Restore within us, Father, a clean heart. Restore within us clean hands, Father. Give us this vertical relationship, Lord Jesus, that is open without hindrance. Lord God Almighty, so that we can then have 
a horizontal relationship with people, with family, with people, with friends, that you then can minister through us as you transform us, as Eric Mason said, and how he's going to tell us over the next few weeks, how as we're transformed, then we can be transformational to other people. But until I'm transformed, I can do nothing. We as a church can do nothing until we as a church is transformed. So, Lord Jesus, we honor you today. We ask you for your forgiveness. And we stand before you and we claim victory. Devil, we put you on guard right now in Jesus' name. You have no responsibility. You have no right here. You have no right to be in our presence. You have no right to be to distract us and to destroy us any longer. The deception is revealed. It's over. It's done. It's been stated. We're moving away from it. We're moving on. And we're standing in the truth of God. So Satan, you have no authority here in the name of Jesus. You have no authority here in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for praying your spirit through me. Thank you for praying your spirit through others. Thank you for praying your spirit into us, Lord, that we have complete authority and we stand on your word and nothing less. And we give you, Jesus, all the glory. We give you all the credit. We give you all the praise for what you are going to do in our homes, in our families, and in this church, and in this community. It's all about you, Jesus. You are the center point of our life. You are the center point of this church. You are the center point of everything that we do. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us, dear Jesus. Have mercy on us, God. You love us so much. Have mercy on us, Father. Restore the years that the enemy has stolen from us. Lord, just fill this place with your glory one more time, God. Fill us with your love, Lord Jesus, for people. Fill us with your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord. Help us not to give in to the compromise of the world. Help us not to play with the devil. Help us to destroy him in Jesus' name. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you were offended, sound Larry? If you were offended today by what he said, then feel free. Don't be hurt. Just feel free to stay in your seat. But if you weren't offended by what he said today, let me tell you, there's something that happens to every preacher. It happens to me. It happens to Drew. It happens to Mike. That when you speak, and after that, that lesson or sermon that you've said, you get attacked from saying about everything you said. You you stumbled and you no you look you looked at me. You stumble, you get convicted about what you stumbled about, what you how you misspoke and you just I mean, beat down to the point of feeling stupid. So if you agree what he said, Mike, you say looking that way. You make your way here up here right now. And stand behind this man. And if you don't, that's okay. Please don't feel like you have to do this. Because this is going to be a representation. Because in a second, I'm going to have him turn around. 
I seen a shield. The Romans used to soak their shields in water to protect them from the fiery arrows that would come. I see a shield that we need to pray behind this man because he will be attacked. He will be attacked from places not around in this building, but out of this building. And I pray that the shield will be around him to protect him from any fiery darts that may come his way. Now, Mike, when I tell you to turn around, I want you to realize something, that next time Satan comes to you and attacks you, you tell him to shut his mouth because these people are behind you. Turn around, Mike. Look. Just thank you for these people in Jesus' name. Lord, we humbly come before you, Father. Recognize that it is not about men. It is a spiritual battle. Lord, for every person in this church that has ever left with an offended spirit, Father, we pray for them in the name of Jesus. It is about you and you alone, Father. And we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we want a humble spirit. Lord, refresh, reheal, Father. Restore, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Bring all of us under proper relationship with you. Lord, I just pray forgiveness. I pray forgiveness. I pray forgiveness, Father, in the name of Jesus. This is important because those that are not natural leaders, this is going to put you out of your comfort zone. For those that don't have a natural tendency to get up and to speak and do and lead, and people are already, I know it's putting people out of their comfort zone. And it's vital that we do this. It's vital that we take our position, we take our stance, we fight for the righteousness of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. But if we don't seek him first, if we're not willing to step out and get a little uncomfortable, change is evident, it's coming. But we, you, this remnant, this warrior, warfare has to happen. It's going to happen through you and me, all of us together. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Just keep digging in. Don't, don't rush through things like this. When the Lord places something on your heart, be diligent with it and be a leader in it. In Jesus' name.